Hello and welcome to Homespun Wisdom Talks with my neighbour, with myself, Sarah Sharman and the infamous Daniel Confino. Hello Sarah, so good to be together again. Although ever more distant, I've had to move to Jupiter. <laughs> the space is getting further and further between us. Well, Daniel, here we are for another podcast. And this won't be aired for quite some time, but we have just released our podcast. So it's been a week. We've had how many episodes out? Four? Four, I think. Four. It's been very exciting. And yes, I digress because I was going to offer you so we're sat with our teas either the biscuit one's been out hasn't it yeah broken biscuits broken biscuits but here i have a giant jammy shortbread my god it's not a jammy dodger no because it's got a dimple with daniel other brands are available. Other brands are available. Oh. Are you a prompting me? And I failed I to spot. The, I failed to spot the. I was so fixated by that enormous lump of jam in the middle that I just couldn't cope with anything else. You know. So yes, other brands are available. But this one, particular one, is Patterson's Jammy Shortbread Giant. It's like almost the size of my hand. So you can either have that. I wasn't going to share it because I've only got two and they were from a discount store, so they're very hard to get hold of. Or you can have some mini dime bars mm. and you'd only get two because <laughs> I'm gonna sound like such a greedy person because I don't want like getting through my chocolate too quickly so you can have two mini dime bars. All right. You know what, I, I'm gonna go for the dime bars only because they will cause less disturbance whilst we're talking. And that huge jammy shortbread is, is, is going to just be a massive distraction. And you're going to ask me some embarrassing question just as I pop a huge piece in my mouth. So no, no thanks. I, I'll rain check on that one. You might be able to have it another day because I don't get through things very quickly. Mm. So, right, now that that's that sorted. Yes, our podcast is released. We're here now recording the 20th episode. Yeah, we just have so much to talk about. We're churning them out. And every time we do something, I I think, oh, that just opens up another whole range of subjects that we need to address. Yes. So today I sit with my notebook. Yes. I'm going to be... getting that complicated. The professional producer here. And... Yeah, I may not actually take any notes, <laughs> but it's there if, in case I need to. So, how's life? How's life? Well, um, I find it um, that if you don't have some outlet like this recording, mm. I would go mad. Would you? I would go completely Oh, because nuts. it's lockdown and there's not a lot to be... Yeah, I mean... You know, the planet I'm on is pretty inhospitable. There's not much going on. Um, and um, <clears throat> it's only this voice communication with you that, that that keeps me sane and interested and gets that spring in my foot that, uh, you know, that I 
rip back the bedclothes, get out of bed, I know that today <clears throat> is another podcast day, another chance for immortality to record my, or our, um, homespun wisdom for the benefit of our incredibly large number and growing number of um, listeners. Uh, 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 listeners, yes. yes, loyal listeners even. I spoke to some lady today who I now have a working relationship with who um, who listened to all of them in one binge with a friend. Oh. And when I suggested others were out in and I'm going to save them up, I need another four and then we'll just do another binge together. She found it so funny. Amazing, that's good to hear. But I'm slightly concerned that I'm the person that puts a spring in your step. My apologies to your dear wife. <laughs> she, she, she puts a spring in other parts of my body. <laughs> okay, that's good. I was just going to uh, tell our listeners we are not having an affair. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think they were concerned. <laughs> I'm sure some people were questioning once they saw our, our photo on that album cover <laughs> uh, yes. I didn't see the perspex didn't show up did it it didn't no and we went to all that expense you know and then it just got left out I don't know uh, and I think my mum thinks she <laughs> listened to the first few and she said Sarah why do you giggle like a schoolgirl in love I was like mum that's just my laugh so, <laughs> so so she's suspicious as well she's suspicious yes <laughs> so I'll try not to laugh mm -hmm. As much. Well, you know, I, I, humour is is um, part of the softening up process in Boy Meets Girl, isn't it? If you can get the other one to laugh, then uh, then they've already, you know, passed one or two of the of the difficult stages of getting to know each other. I'm afraid, Daniel. Uh, as I said to my mum, I told her I'm not really laughing at Daniel, but my own jokes. <laughs> she said she knew. <clears throat> I well, tend to laugh so much like I that. I think it's um it's the right time for us to say that we have received quite a lot of feedback that we've made some classic mistakes, errors, schoolboy howlers, all sorts of things in in previous podcasts, which is just the result of speaking without preparation and doing no editing of the final result. So we at some point need to just have a big mea culpa where we just go through all the things we got wrong and correct them so we don't leave that. Yeah, um, but this is talks with my neighbour, so. This is just as if we were talking over the garden fence. So we wouldn't have done much research if we were walking by and we just stopped for a chat. So we're welcoming your comments and your knowledge, should you wish to share them. But um, I'll tell you what I was thinking. I have a, a weekly call with my brothers, you know, um, Zoom type call. And it got a bit difficult um, last Friday, which made me think think is that because you're famous now <laughs> <laughs> no no they they I'm, I'm if you put our names into google i'm not the first one to come up and and the, and the reasons why i come up are usually quite um embarrassing should we say mm -hmm. but we had a discussion on friday which got into the area of how uncles as we're brothers and we, we we have that relationship with each other's children what are the correct what are the rules for the you know, acceptable, appropriate, correct behaviour of uncles to their nephews and nieces. And we realise that this is a very open area. I mean, people understand parenting, they understand grandparenting. Cousin to cousin, maybe that's not a very strong relationship in the UK. It is in Spain, for instance, where it's treated like siblings, actually. Right. Um, but aunts and uncles, 
um, it's not well understood, and I, I wanted to explore that with you. You, you are um, an you, auntie. You are an auntie. I am, yeah. And you have aunties. I do, yes. And uncles. Yes. So you, you're right in the middle of this. Normally, because of my <clears throat> creaky old age, I, I have more experience of some of the subjects we discussed. But today, I don't feel that, and um, I don't have an aunt actually. You don't? No. And most of the children in our family are boys. So that's created a, a certain skew to the relationship. So maybe I'll be talking more about uncles than aunts today. Right. But you could be, take the alternate view, look at the aunt, niece, mm. nephew relationship. Okay, I'll try my best. <clears throat> but I, I, I have to start with my uncle, Marco who um, is unfortunately no longer with us. He um, lived in Milan, and he was the representative in Italy and Switzerland of the British hand tool industry, mm -hmm. uh, which means um, all sorts of measuring devices and so forth, which were made by some lovely companies like James Neal and Spear and & Jackson, and other companies are available, but they do make the best stuff. And um, he was a man <clears throat> who never actually got married and developed some strange habits. Um, but we loved him dearly. Um, so he would come over every year for the motor show, which was in London in those days at Earl's Court before it transferred to the, what is it, the NEC. Uh, I in was Birmingham. thinking of Goodwood, but... <clears throat> no, no, it's the motor... Sh yes, I, I know what you mean. You're thinking of the races. Um, <clears throat> and he would come over and um, and he would always bring these amazing things from Italy. Which we're talking back in the 70s now, so he'd bring little salamis, olive oil, toys. The sort of toys that our parents would never buy us. Dangerous toys. Ooh. Huge toys. Expensive toys. And he also bought lots of marzipan little little treats and so on so he was that uncle that had no children of his own and he spoiled us something rotten and we looked forward to nothing more than his arrival every year and on top of all that he would cook pasta like a god I think it was because he used just so much butter it was ridiculous and you know that's probably not a good idea long term but but he 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 knew his pasta and in fact, one of the funniest things about um, Marco was going shopping with him here because he had, I think this is the result of being alone all your life. You have no one to tell you you're mad or you're doing things wrong. So for instance, we would go to a deli counter to buy salami and he would say, I want some of that. And the assistant would pick up the salami and take it to the slicing machine. He said, wait, do you know how to slice salami? And the assistant would say, yes, yes, of course. He, he said, well, um, you're about to slice it? Yes. No, no, no. Give me the salami. So he sniffs the salami, the end, you know. So no, no, cut off the first piece, throw that away. Oh, yeah. Um, and then he throws that away and he has another sip. Says, okay, it's good. Uh, and then the assistant says, how many slices do you want? He says, two. You know? <laughs> I mean, I've worked on a deli counter. There are people who yeah, buy two and I would chop off the... The first piece. The first piece, especially yeah. if it's been sat there a while. You wouldn't want to argue with him. And um, that became apparent all through life when um, we tried to involve him in um, in family occasions. 
um, like picnics in London, which would be organised, and he would say, you know, would you would you like to come, Maudie? Yes, yes, I'll come. Collect me from the airport. And we thought, yeah, are you coming to Heathrow or Gatwick? He said, no, no, Milan Airport, which is where he started his journey. Right. So, you know, this was, and you, you would have to do it, you know, you, you wouldn't, there was no point in arguing with him. He was just too set in his ways. Um, and he turned out to be the rich uncle as well. Oh. He had been quietly amassing a, a little fortune and had nothing more to do with it than to be nice to his nieces and nephews in, um, in his will. So, you know, we loved him at every stage of his life and then when he was no longer with us. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe is a role for aunts and uncles, is to be that, that sort that of... Wealthy that wealthy family person, member. <laughs> yeah, that, the rich uncle is a, is a sort of, you know, apocryphal story, but yeah, to um, to take, behave differently than, the, than your parents, who have to be disciplined, have to sort of manage your expectations and and you know, make sure that you, everything's ordered and they can just come along and be totally disruptive. Yes. Um, and um, that perhaps is one of the roles of the uncle or the aunt. Do you, do you have one that, that fits that bill? I am most definitely the fun aunt. You're the fun aunt. I'm the fun aunt. I, I probably seem more of a friend to my brother's children than an auntie, but they do know is auntie sarah and they come and stay with me uh, for a, a couple of days each summer holidays and boy is it expensive because i take them to do great things we go to the aquarium we've been on the london eye we go to the theater and as i uh like i'm my background is musical theater i've got various friends working in certain shows they've been backstage had a a tour and it they loved it at first like oh we're not going to the theater are we i was like it's going to be the most magical experience of your life if i love the theater you will love the theater and they did and thankfully they did that because we've not had any theater this year or last year so yes it's very expensive but i try to give them experiences that they will cherish forever and then when i uh go around to the house or they we all meet up at my mum's they just never want to leave it's just so much fun and yeah actually my my niece my niece said to me at my brother's uh birthday picnic she wished that i had children because i was so much fun they should experience having a fun mum like me i was like oh that's quite it'll be quite different though because i'll have them full time exactly you can just drop in and for two days keep that, you know, incredibly interesting, busy front. Yeah. But you can't do that. Yes. And then day. there's been times when I've tried to discipline them. <laughs> My brother's been watching because their rule is if someone, if an adult is telling them off, another adult shouldn't get involved. Like you just need one person telling them in that heat of the moment. I wasn't as stern as I, as he thought I should have been. Mm. So, yeah. So then I had to have a, a little talk to 
about my discipline and methods. I was like, but I don't want to like ruin our fun. <laughs> but this is this is where it strays into that conversation I, I was talking about with my brothers, where one of us gives advice or even more directly goes straight to their nephews in this case hmm. to um, intervene, should we say, if they think that something needs to happen. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm quite prepared to admit that I'm not the best parent of our children in the world. You know, I'm, I'm their biological father, but that doesn't make me automatically the best person. One of my, one of my uh, brothers, so their their uncle, might well be able to see something that I can't see with their different life experience and mm. and, um, and detachment. And I'm more than happy to allow them to intervene. Um, I. But I mean, not everyone is, is happy with, with being told that their parenting skills aren't great. I mean, if you ever try to tell a parent of a screaming toddler anything, you know, on an aeroplane, for instance, um, that might be useful to calm the child down, you know, you, what, what you do is you get absolute vitriolic abuse, oh. having the temerity to step into that void. Now, that's obviously with a stranger, so maybe it's different, but given our discussion about sibling rivalry, which we did on a previous podcast, um, that could come out in these situations as well. Yes. Really not be appreciated. I think if you're ever in that position, like being the stranger, being told something, just look blankly, pretend you're listening, and then carry on. Mm -hmm. There's no need to get into a second uh, fight with someone else whilst you're trying to sort out a child. I think but um, they say it's, it takes a village to raise a child. They do. That's an African proverb, I believe. Well, my mum is African. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not sure. I've never quite understood that saying, although I get it, you know, that it, um, it is a collective effort mm. and that everyone has their little bit to do and bit to say and yeah. value in that, which is right. I think that... The idea that um, the biological parents have got it all covered is wrong and they often lose perspective mm. and don't see things. Well, I think and, yeah. I was just going to say, where my mum's from in Togo, the village is a big community and sometimes your neighbours or like your uncles or aunties, or they actually are your aunties and uncles, so working together looking out for each other or where my grandma lived she'd often have people pass by who knew her and maybe buy things from her or just check in say hello how are you and just uh yeah there'd be a real family neighborly connection yeah well i and i mean particularly if you have um i think there's that charming expression maiden aunts isn't there which is childless aunts gives them a chance. So there were a lot of these after the First World War, for instance. When what did he say they're called? Maiden. Maiden aunts. Yeah, because you know, after the First World War, a lot of the chaps didn't come back. So right. there, were, there weren't enough chaps to go round. Mm. So a lot of women never got married in that generation. So they were, there was a whole, there was an abundance of, of what you might call maiden, childless aunts who must have got some vicarious pleasure from you know helping with their sister's children in some way so you know like girls to go around so it wasn't quite polygamy we never got 
that far into it. <laughs> it might have been a solution, but um, yeah, you know, gave everyone gave everyone a role. Um, so, um, I mean, as I say, I have no problem with um, with uncles taking a strong lead with uh, with helping our children, and hopefully they see other sides of them that um, that that I can't see. And you trust an uncle, don't you? You do. Or an aunt, as you would trust, you know, any member of the family. But it's only when you get that step relationship that there's a, a bit of a worry sometimes. Is there such a thing as a step uncle? Are they called uncles? I guess so. Yeah. I'm, I'm there are even some friends yeah. that uh, children will call uncle, even though they're not connected by blood. So I remember my uncle Marco, you know, who's uh, I mentioned earlier. There was one famous occasion when he came round to stay with us. We were living in Wembley Park, and it was the age when we were buying motorbikes, a lot of mobilette type motorbikes. And a couple of my brothers had been to see one and hadn't bought it for various reasons, but but bought the the um, the box, the carry box from the back, you know, sold to them separately. And um, I'm not sure quite the circumstance of it, but, but later the vicar, who was their parent, came round to remonstrate about it. And he uh, didn't realise that Uncle Marco would be there at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so there was this absolute stand-up argument between the vicar on the one hand <laughs> and my uncle on the other, in which, and we still don't know to this day whether my uncle was saying, bastard, which would have been quite rude, or the Italian for enough is basta. Oh. You see, so there, it was never clear whether he was saying basta, basta, <laughs> <laughs> or, or bastard. You know, which obviously with a vicar would have been quite quite difficult. Yeah. Um, but yes, uncles are supposed to behave badly. I think that's. I mean, they're supposed to challenge the the, the usual norms of behavior. I mean, uh, I remember an aunt of my mum, an aunt um, who uh, was related to my mother, uh, who lived in Hampstead, and we didn't see her very often, but she would always send us on our way with a huge box of, um, of sweets that we would never get at home. Mm. Yeah, so being spoilt is definitely one of those things you look to aunts and uncles for. They have the irresponsibility, don't they, of not having to send you to the dentist afterwards. and deal with the consequences I didn't get sports like that by my auntie I used to get sent so I growing up I just well I had one close auntie that lived nearby from my mum's side and as I've mentioned my mum's from West Africa my auntie came over my mum brought her over so she'd have a friend here and she'd just moved to a new country so I would get sent to my auntie's once she was married to uh, spend a, f a few days of the half term there but to me it was like being sent to prison <laughs> I would cry I wouldn't leave, want to leave my mum and dad I was like don't send me to auntie she makes me eat not that I had an eating disorder but I was very fussy and 
you know what? She wasn't as bad as Meg Hamid as my parents were, so I don't know why I was so scared. But my brothers were never sent to her. It was just me. And I was like, oh, I don't want to go. But now, in my older years, my auntie and I are, are quite good friends. But as a child, it was so traumatic for me being sent away to spend time with my auntie. But then she had children and then I guess it wasn't, no, it was still, it was still quite bad. <laughs> I made it bad in my head because the only place I wanted to be was at home with my mum and dad and mm -hmm. my brothers. But then there are no specific responsibilities, are there, of being an, an aunt or an uncle? I mean, you, no, no one can criticise you and say you never call, you know, your nephew, for instance, or niece. Couldn't really realistically turn around and say you never call because you don't have to show any interest in them, do you? Who, my nephew and niece? Well, I mean, you as the aunt. You know, you know there's no requirement to... You know, there's no requirement, but I guess as I'm a single lady and... Uh, have quite a bit of spare time I'm often calling my sister-in-law to speak to the kids to see how they are be involved in their life and now the eldest has his own mobile phone I'll message him or call him he doesn't often reply <laughs> but uh, it's nice that he's he feels a bit grown up and he can video call me mm. when he wants because if his sister gets hold of the phone, he doesn't get it. And then the younger one's trying to take the phone off of the sister and it can just all be a bit crazy. But I do call quite often, especially as they live quite far. It's nice to, to ring in. Do you think the role of um, aunt or uncle it crosses over with the godparent? I'm not sure if godparents, um, you know, how many people have godparents? It doesn't seem to be an automatic thing. But it's an important role, well, really. it's religious, isn't it? Well, it, it was. You can't... Oh, no, I think it still is. You can't be a godparent unless you are baptised. That's true. I had this problem when I went to Italy um, to be the godfather of my great friend Nick Farrell from university days. And can I just highlight something? Yes. God. God. Parent. Oh, yes, I'd never thought about that. Yes, you're right. Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, and I'm going to, my little story will reinforce everything you've just said. Okay. So I went over to be the godfather to his fourth child. He has about seven now, Winston. So he's still being very good, a very good Brit, even in Italy. He actually wrote a rather revisionist a biography of Mussolini um, whilst living in Predapio, where Mussolini was born, or that's his hometown which is still quite in favour of Mussolini. Mm. But anyway, um, when it got to the, um, the church ceremony where I was going to have to take these vows, um, and it turned out that I was Jewish, mm. um, that couldn't go ahead. So I had to do a sort of a little civil ceremony separately, but I couldn't do the religious one. And since then, um, it's been quite difficult being a good godfather given the distance, although I did start a bank account for him, which seemed the smallest thing I could do. And I did buy him a swing, because when I went to see them, I thought he has nothing to play in the garden. So I actually bought a very nice, large, wooden frame swing for him. Uh, but I think the role of the godparent, including the religious overtones you mentioned, and the uncle-aunt could be quite comparable, which is another adult to speak to about stuff you don't really want to speak to your parents about directly. 
It could be a moral dilemma. It could be something embarrassing. It could be something you don't want them to know about. Who do you go safely to have a kind of a risk-free conversation that won't get back to them? Mm. A trusted adult that you can go to for advice in those circumstances. Who is that person? Well, I have two stories here. I surprisingly became godmother to my youngest nephew. I didn't know it was happening. We were in the church, it was locked down, and my mum was going to be godmother. But there wasn't a second, there wasn't a godfather or someone else. So the priest turned and said, oh, so is this the other godparents? And my brother and his wife looked at me to think, oh, we've not actually thought this, but then they were like, Sarah? I said, well, this was an ambush, on the spot, you were there. Yeah. You thought you were just having, you were just chilling, you weren't gonna be a combatant in this ceremony. No, I was just there as the so, auntie. Suddenly you're ushered in. And now I'm godmother. I was and, like, and sure. Aunt. Wait a minute, you're godmother and aunt. Godmother and aunt oh, to no. the youngest, which so, confused the other two. They're like, does that make you yeah. our godmother now? Oh, yeah, no. See, this is this is bringing out my point in a way I couldn't have imagined. Yeah, you're you're so both. Like, and no, I'm just Do you know which auntie. hat you're wearing when you're talking to your... Well, luckily the youngest Your is, niece or godchild. So I don't need to have... Uh, He's just too busy just saying what he wants to play with. So that's fine. But then I thought, I said to my mum, I'm not very religious, even though I went to church school and been baptised, blah, blah. I would say I'm more spiritualist than religious. So then I was like, oh, can I actually take on this role? When you say, um, I know this is getting a little bit off-piste here, but, mm. So we'll come back, I hope. But when you say spiritualists are not religious, does that do you believe in some something bigger than us, some well, force the, in the universe that's bigger than us, however you want to call it, or do you just think that you, when you say spiritualist, you're just a good person and you you live by a good set of morals? So probably the you, latter, you good person you, with a good you, set you, of morals. So, and... you, so you don't need you know to be to follow all the orthodoxy and the rigmarole and. Mm. whatever no. um, I don't really know mm. I don't know I just I don't know second story as I mentioned not so long ago my mum moved here uh, from Africa she married my dad uh, and then they decided let's move to England my dad's English so they'd come over pretty much on their own they didn't know anyone in the town that we were living in and I was quite young so I was about one and a half when I moved here and I must have been baptized when I was three or four and the only person that they could that they knew enough to ask was our next door neighbor oh no not doing neighbors <laughs> no neighbor wants to talk to us after that which was fine, but then when I was older, I was like, his name was Terry. Mm. I was like, Terry's not really a good candidate to be a godparent because I understood godparents there to be like the second parents if your parents were to die. And he was quite old anyhow, which then also very judgmental because mm. I had an older father. So I was like, well, it doesn't matter what their age is if they just accept the responsibility of looking after the godchild mm -hmm. and keep them on the straight and narrow, that's fine. 
but things turned sour with Terry, our next door neighbor. And it may have been because we put up a fence in the back garden just to make it look nicer. Did you take it? Did he take offense? <laughs> so, uh, and how, high, how high was the fence? Probably about six foot. You couldn't see over it then? No. Oh, yeah. It wasn't very neighborly. No, no, that's gonna. And the reason being? And then we also had really big conifer trees. Oh, yeah. Those which Lylandii or whatever they're called. Yeah. yeah. That's a source of. We should have talked about that on the neighbor thing. About what, sorry? You know, when we're talking about neighbours, mm -hmm. we should have talked about Leylandii in the garden, you know, all this overshadowing and screening of the sun and we high fences. We could on gardens. Yeah, we never really got into the garden this year. I mean, because, you know, in, in some parts of London, the, the nice parts around here in the southeast, mm. if your tree overhangs the neighbour's garden, they just sort of politely chop the offending branches off at the boundary line and then tie them up with a nice bit of hessian and then leave them on your doorstep. I'm going to use the notebook. Yeah. Gardens. Yeah, get scribbling. So the godparent and aunt-uncle, I, I believe that, you know, that there's a lot of confusion around all these relationships and that really what you're providing, and it's important that any young person has this, is, is someone to turn to for advice. You know, somebody who, who's had that lifelong experience of you um, and therefore can give you whole-of-life experience, not just, you know, parachuting in to try and understand the immediate situation who knows you deeply who loves you ideally and will give you honest uh, advice and, and at one stage removed from your parents because you can't put things back after you've said some things mm. and um, so that's a really important thing now you can't have aunts and uncles unless you're lucky enough that your parents have siblings but the godparents are chosen aren't they and it's quite they a, are, yes. It's quite a it's quite an honour really to be chosen as a godfather, godmother. It is. But then I think it's wise to choose if the godparent isn't someone that's family, you have to choose someone that you've known for many, many years. Not not, not just the knack door. Terry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And not friends where There's nothing like the, the relationship's a bit unstable. I think I've got some good friends back at home where I grew up who could make very good godparents because I've known them since I was four and mm. others since I was like six. So you know that that's the type of friend that is going to continue to stick around for life. Yeah. So here's a, here's a question for you that I think brings together a number of strands that we've been discussing in different ways. Mm. I mean, for instance, there's often the accusation that um, midwives who aren't themselves mothers don't really know what they're, you know, can't really know what they're doing, can't really know what it's like, even though they might have seen hundreds or maybe even thousands of births and deliveries. Okay. Um, that's one point. And then the other point is, you know, the, well, we talked about the maiden aunt and whatever the equivalent term for the uncle is. There probably isn't one because the language is so inherently sexist and patriarchal. So let's just get that one, you know, put on record. Oh, I'm tapping the table. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> How unprofessional of me. Um, in my excitement. But yeah, you know, if, the, if you have an uncle or aunt who themselves have no children, can they be good 
can they be good in that role or do they have to have the lived experience in which role is godparents no no as you know being an advisor to to their nieces and nephews 100% i do not have children and i think i can guide my brother's children and share pearls of wisdom with them that being said i have looked after children since I was about 30, no, even younger, because my cousin's 11 years younger than me. So I'd spend time at my auntie's, helping with the babies when they were babies, changing their nappies, etc. Then I was babysitting for some kids around the corner from me when I was 13, 14. Mm. So looked after children then. Then I came away to college here in London and my friend from home, her brother lived down the road and that was convenient for them. They're like, Sarah, do you want to come and babysit for us? They left me with a three-year-old and a three-month-old. It's like, holy moly, I knew how to change. You're just too nice and now people give you dogs to look after all day. Oh, when I was 13, they came, the two kids I looked after came with a dog as well and the oh, dog was right. more hard work than the children because yep. about five minutes before the parents came home the dog peed all over the lounge and I was just like oh, I so almost got out of here like unscathed but uh, yeah so I have had plenty of experience with children where the babysitting I used to be a kids party entertainer and if you can handle 30 children at a party Yep. I think I, I'm, I, I can handle other people's children. Yep. Yeah, which, which brings me back to the whole point of this discussion, really, which is that you, know, the, um, you should allow aunts and uncles free, more free access, I think, to your children yeah. um, as a healthy foil and it, uh, antidote. Is that the word I want? Hmm. You know, for, for the parenting, so that the, the the strictures, the control, the mechanisms of parenting are sort of somewhat leavened by the by the more carefree approach, typically of aunts and uncles. I don't know many aunts and uncles that would be stricter than the parents. Um, why would they be? Why would they? Why would they take their time to discipline? They might be African. Ah, point. Is it right that in some African communities, the, they skip a generation and the grandparents take primary responsibility for bringing up the children and Sometimes. relieving them, the parents to do their work, so to speak. Uh, and then they, as they age, will take on the parenting. My cousin was brought up by my grandma. Yeah. But her parents had passed away. Same with my mum. She was effectively brought up by her My mum was brought up by her uncle. She was sent to Nigeria to go to school there, so therefore went to live with her uncle. Okay, so there are all these family ties. I mean, there is, I forget how the rule works, but is, was it not the case that um, a brother had to step into the shoes if his brother didn't turn up for the wedding in some way? You, what? You, you talked about being, being shotgun weddinged into being the godmother because you happened to be there mm. and they needed somebody. But apparently, you know, if you're, if if um, if you, if the if the bride is at the aisle and, and the brother, well, the, the the groom doesn't turn up, then the brother has to step into his shoes, and the brother is often the best man, so it, it sort of works in that way. 
This could be a cause for us to have to apologise later and correct everything, you know, as part of that. We might need to correct. I think we, we might have to do a Especially massive in correction. These modern times. People are going to be Googling this right now yeah. to see just how badly wrong. But we don't have time to check, you know, I just had this in my head. Mm. That, um, that that is something that brothers do. In fact, didn't they? Didn't this happen in what, what was that Netflix drama? Um, we all just watched. Oh, Bridgerton. Yeah, didn't it happen in that? The, didn't the, the didn't the brother of the dead uh, army officer? Yeah. Didn't he come and offer to marry? He did. What a nice gentleman. Well, yeah. But he's, well, yes, indeed. But but maybe he was more out of duty. I mean, when he it when was, he turned yes. up, do you think he was pleased with what he saw? I mean. Maybe he wasn't looking. I don't think he was disappointed. She was a little bit, but taken aback. Yes, I mean it's a she, lot to take to take in, I mean, especially you, when you've had bad news. Do you think that the chances of a brother being a good sort of proxy, you know, an approximation for the person you intended? Do you think that's likely to be the case? I mean, two brothers are they going to be that similar? That if you, I always used to joke, you know, that, that because I've got so many brothers, and I used to joke with the my sisters-in-law. That it, it was a bit like the, um, the, the 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 guarantee you get on the Mars bar. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's actually under the fold, so you probably if you just rip the the packaging off, you would never see it. But somewhere in in gold lettering there, or there used to be. I haven't had one in ages. So it used to be said if you're not entirely happy with your Mars bar with this product, you should return it with this wrapper to a PO box in Slough. Um, stating why exactly you were not happy and they were going to replace it or refund you. But I used to joke that a, a confino was a bit like a commodity and that these sisters-in-law could sort of do the same, that if they weren't entirely happy with their confino, they could return it to wherever, preferably not a P.O. box in Slough, and exchange it for another. You know, so it sort of makes the point that... Maybe at a synagogue in <laughs> <laughs> that brothers are sort of more interchangeable than just some random person like Terry next door, you know, mm. um, who could turn out to be, you know, quite difficult, particularly after you've subjected him to you. Which way did the sun go oh. with Terry? Would, would he have been blocked by the Leylandi eye, the conifers? Yes, I think so. You, know, you see that overshadowing, that's, that's mm. plus high fences. I mean, low fences make it for good neighbours. Yes, it did start off low, but then. Yeah. We just got a bit too, you know. So um, let's not get distracted by Terry. Um, so yes, the the, the, the the responsibility to sort of step in is part of a whole range of responsibilities of you know looking after your um, your nieces and nephews, um, which is unspoken. It's unwritten. It's just one of those things that you do. You do the right thing in those circumstances, and accidents, deaths. You know, all these things are, are moments when you, that's when you turn to to your siblings um, or the aunts and uncles feel the need to, to raise their game. Now, Sarah, we're getting to 45 minutes, which is... I know, and I was trying to keep these podcasts to half an hour. It's because you hour. were waffling away at the beginning about all sorts of nonsense. Oh, it well. It so long to get started today. Never mind. It's meant to be neighbourly and warm and yes, yes. welcoming. Can I just say that I did eat my two dime bars. I was um, clearly talking more than you today because uh, I've not had a chance to. Are you eyeing up my two now? Well, I, actually, I never realised they were spelt dame, as in D-A-I-M. I thought they were dime, D-I-M-E, as in buddy, dame. can you spare? Oh, yes. Dame bar. Dame. They're, they're American, aren't they? I thought they were from... 
Oh, that's oh, right is there a thing saying, please return with this wrapper if you're not completely satisfied? I thought they were Scandinavian. By the way, I've got a, a really good um, tip for anyone who likes eating Mars bars to get more out of it because there's something about how quickly you can eat one and how many calories there are. But if you put it in the fridge and get it really nice and chilled, you can slice it into almost wafer-thin slices, which you can just put on your tongue as a, and just try and resist the urge to bite or do anything. Just let it melt. And that way you can get maybe 50 individual treats out of one Mars bar. And you don't have to eat it all at one sitting. So, so you'll save money spending uh, it on chocolate with the kids. Just get one. Yep, freeze, freeze it. Freeze it. Chop thin it, slices. Very, very thin slices. And then you can share it out with at and least just, and just six put one on. That, that becomes almost like the religious experience, isn't it? I'm going to try it. What, next are, what is it? What is it called when they put the the tissue, the the bread? You know, the communion. Communion. Yes, it could be like that, couldn't it? A it sort could of a, be. a chocolatey communion. I'm going to do that next time I see the kids. If I get to see the kids. But, uh, it, will, it will teach them a level of restraint and deferred gratification, which, of course, is a great lesson in life. Oh, yes. But they don't have that. We opened a tub of celebrations and they were just... They were gone. Yeah. Well, Whereas my it? brothers and I... Hang on. Sorry, keep interrupting. We used to do a thing so we'd all get an equal amount. We'd sit around the biscuits or the chocolate and we'd sing, we all take one then we take one, <laughs> eat it, wait till it's completely gone, and then we sing again. We all take one. Well, just just <laughs> just imagine if you would adopt my procedure with with the miniature celebrations. Other brands of confectionery are available, but they're really good. Uh, we're just looking for sponsorship. <laughs> if any from from Mars or sponsorship is listening, or, or free items, um, yeah, we're, we're available. Um, yeah, just imagine if you took one of those miniature Mars bars and did my thing. You just mm. so you had really thin, small pieces. That could be a lot of fun. I think that's for another day. But I, I hope uh, everyone's got something out of this. Anyone who is an aunt, or an uncle, or oh God, a nephew, or oh. niece, looking at the aunts and uncles in their lives, um, will now be a little bit more thoughtful about exactly what all that means and how they can be good in that role. Indeed. Well, thank you, Daniel, for another episode of Homespun Wisdom, Talks with My Neighbour. We'll see you again very, very soon. Well, I'm going to have to get warp drive, you know, up and running to do, to do it very soon because I'm a long way away now. You are. Right, let's get that rocket ready. Until next time, ciao for now. Bye.